Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on tap, we have The Last Boy Scout, starring Bruce Willis, Damon Wayans, Chelsea Field, Noble Willingham, and Taylor Negron. Story by Shane Black and Greg Hicks. Screenplay by Shane Black. And directed by Mr. Tony Scott. Welcome back to Rise Smile Films as we trudge along on our 90s action cask. We had a lot of fun talking last time about speed. Uh, it, we, we came in with expectations, and I think we blew those expectations out of the water, right? Yeah, we sure did. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Yeah. I'll be curious to see what today's conversation leads from 1991, The Last Boy Scout. We've talked about Tony Scott before with uh, Top Gun and True Romance. And while we're getting settled here, we have some Agitator. This is Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey finished in red wine barrels. So to you, cheers. To you, cheers. And we came in here hot, right? Talking about a whole separate other movie franchise, and we'll we'll, we'll save that for next week, right? A little fiery in the studio this morning. Yeah, prior to take yeah, off. yeah, exactly. But I, I did have this question, uh, but b- before you came over about Tony Scott, Ridley Scott, they were brothers. You know, Tony Scott died way too soon. I mean, that's kind of the craziest story, right? I mean, yeah. had can- got a cancer diagnosis and was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, not for Jumped me. Off a bridge. Golden Gate, right? Mm-hmm. Was it and left a note? Like crazy. Absolutely crazy. Ridley Scott's filmography is impressive, and he's made two of my all-time Blade Runner and Alien. He has Gladiator in there, and some of his... Uh, he's been so hit and miss, right? I mean, I, I kind of like The Last Duel, but then, like, House of Gucci was a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think Tony Scott's filmography is maybe maybe not as grand, but maybe a little bit more consistent? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Consistent. Um I don't know if they're, like you said, is the smash home run that's an Aliens or a Blade Runner for you. Mm-hmm. But it's littered with... The hunger. Yeah. Um, solid films that pretty much deliver. And, you know, I think the only Tony Scott film that I don't like... Man on Fire. That's it. Yeah. Other than that, the rest of his filmography is pretty darn good. Yeah, look at this run here. You know, you have uh, Last Boy Scout, True Romance, Crimson Tide, yeah. uh, The Fan... Uh, enemy of the state. I mean, like none of those are going to like blow you out of the water, but like you can't say like that. A lot of those are terrible movies. I mean, it's like a thriller action vehicle that he's really known for. Solid film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other one I kind of didn't like, it was Domino. Did you, I don't know if you ever saw that one I did, yeah. about that. That one's, you know, kind of towards the, the back half of his career, but yeah, we did, we did the hunger of Tony Scott. Mm-hmm. We did that one as well. So yeah, I'm excited to talk about the last boy scout, our boy, Shane black and, all the egos in this movie, right? Oh, man. <laughs> Before we get into it. Go ahead. Does The Last Boy Scout get made as it is in 1991 in today's Hollywood world? Oh, no way. There's no way this movie sees the light of day. Mm-mm. If it does, it's NC-17. Um, we'll get into that because I think that's some of the good and bad of what is of that period. But yeah, I thought the same thing too. This is a movie that absolutely gets shit canned right now. Yeah. It was like the early nineties had a very tenacious appetite for like this type of action film. Right. I mean, just like, and this even pushes the envelope on that too. This is, this is just showing how far Shane Black's willing to write some stuff and see what he can get away with. Sure. And, and I'll just cat it out of the bag. I found this out. I thought this was fascinating. It was like 1.75 million sold for the script. It was a then record for sold screenplay. This, this film. 
Did anyone read it before they bought? They purchased yeah, it? Yeah. Or and was it just his name? You know, they, 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 they read it. I, he might have been commissioned. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into wow. it. But uh, yeah, then record. That's awesome. I mean. Because this is a, um, like hour and 40 minute film, 104 mm-hmm. minutes. Because mm-hmm. there's a per spec, <laughs> what I would argue, mm-hmm. a deal breaker on about page 125. Mm-hmm. And it might look like something that might happen at Denver Broncos game. Okay. <laughs> Shots fired, literally, maybe. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Let's dive right into our flight question. Ladies and gentlemen, you're going to have this song stuck in your head all week. (laughs) Damn you. It's a pretty cool, interesting little thing they did here, because this is obviously a kind of a takeoff of Monday Night Football and kind of Hank Williams Jr. and his little song, right? All my rowdy friends are here on Friday night. Yeah, Friday night when when no one's home. Football on Friday night, it just wouldn't play, right? No. (laughs) It's for the XFL. Right. Uh, So flight question this week. Uh, So we have... uh, this scenario, it's going to be kind of all around the world of football, and I hope we get to talk some football in this episode and kind of how it stacks up with 1991's depiction of what football was. Free agents ruined the game. Mm. <laughs> uh, but kind of an interesting backdrop, I think, for an action film with kind of a very interesting conclusion to this whole thing. So my flight question to you is, what's another major sporting event? So whether the sport itself or like an like the event, like the big game, do you think would make an interesting backdrop for an action film? With the popularity of Tom Cruise and Top Gun again, the new one, what I thought would be cool would be to put him in a race car and send him around really fast and put Nicole Kidman in it. What do you think? <laughs> they would never do it, but sure, why not? <laughs> Isn't that called Days of Thunder? Yeah. In all seriousness, um, I like this question, and it's an idea that I've had for some time. Mm-hmm. I want it to be in basketball, okay, but I want the thriller aspect to be on the fixing of games. Okay. So I want you to take like the the talent level of like an early 90s UNLV kind of team. Okay. So Ogman, Johnson, Greg Anthony, with basically nothing legitimate about them, including the coach. And then was Steve Fisher, right? Um, Jerry Tarkanian. Oh, yeah. Steve Fisher was Fisher Michigan. Was Michigan after, um, uh, what the hell is this? After, God, what was that? He left and went, went to ASU. Um, anyway. Yeah, won a national championship. Both of them did. But you want someone with like some kind of loose morals and scruples the way like a Tark would, but like with this loaded team. Okay. And from that, the fixing of games or the point shaving begins and they get in a little deeper than they're supposed to. Mm. And I don't want, and I don't mean this per, per race. I just mean, I don't want the ivory white basketball player to come in there and refuse to do it. Like, I don't want that. Mm-hmm. But I think the seedy nature of gambling and gangsters. And that there's some of that in this film too. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the crux of what this is. The antagonist has based his, his uh, nefarious plans upon. I just think basketball plays really well in, in film, maybe more so than football. Because I think the court and the players are small enough to where you can see all of the action. Mm -hmm. 
Um, whereas football, there's so much going on and it's in such big venues. It's, it's almost hard to concentrate on what the real moments are of, of sporting action. But I want that. I want a nice basketball movie um, based in gambling and we'll call it pick and roll. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so kind of like college atmosphere versus mm-hmm. professional. Yeah. Yeah, that could be pretty good. We're kind of due for a basketball film, aren't we? Yeah, and college works better because those characters at that level, I think, are more gettable because they're just in a more desperate state. And sure, we get into sure, yeah. um, all the name, image, likeness stuff that the NCAA is trying to battle through and oh, all of I those know, things yeah. right now. There's just, it's, I think it's real, real contemporary and real ripe. That sounds good. Yeah. Good choice. Thanks. Um, I'm going uh, with, I'm going to go with an event. You know, I kind of thought, you know, there's sudden death, John Claude Van Damme, that's hockey. Um, there's Black Sunday. I think that's a football one. I think even the Sum of All Fears has like a whole Super Bowl aspect tied to it as well. Naked Gun. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, that's, yeah, baseball. Yeah. Um, I am going to go with uh, an event and kind of like you, I think maybe mine will be a little bit more in the political thriller intrigue action film. Kind of like a Jack Ryan. Uh, I'm going to pick the World Cup as the backdrop. Uh for an action vehicle. Kind of think of it, you know, soccer's already not here, but everywhere else. Super competitive. Yep. I mean, th- th- there was a like great 30 for 30 about like that goaltender that like shot in his own goal and then was like killed by like the cartel. Mm-hmm. So just th- that kind of like craziness associated with the big game. And so on the biggest stage of all the nations, so almost like a pseudo United Nations gather at this event, kind of think of all like the kind of political espionage that you can get into assassinations or some sort of bomb thing. And then we'll have our hero that needs to kind of like solve that. So we're playing for like the peace cup and all of the nations of the yeah. European 20 go that's based around a soccer tournament and this big summit and all hell breaks loose there. Yeah. So I think I my, love yeah, that. mine will probably take place over the course of several, like a week Yeah, versus like you're like, like, an, like one day, like a, what just a, like a one day event like a diehard or something. That's like great. That. So yeah, I thought that could be pretty interesting. Uh, mm. But yeah, a lot of different possibilities. I try to think of something like a little more fast paced. Like, I don't know what to like a golf tournament or like yeah. a baseball game. As much as I do like it, it just doesn't have the energy, right? <laughs> that we're looking for. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. We're going to talk about football a lot in this thing. So get ready. So, cause Friday night's a good night for football. And this movie starts out with a bang. Mm. Let's get to our view breakdown of The Last Boy Scout. Goddard's pass is complete to Billy Cole. So this is probably, you know, if you've only seen The Last Boy Scout once, if I brought up the title, it would, this would probably be, oh, yes, yeah, the one where the guy brings a gun out of the field and starts shooting people. Yeah. It's crazy. This is a heck of an opening to really kind of set the tone. And I don't know what kind of a tone it really sets for this thing, but 
in this fictitious NFL, you know, there's we don't have any. It's not like the Cowboys and like the Steelers, right? Right. It's the Stallions and I think like the Cleveland Cats. How lame! I mean, Cleveland's a joke in the fictitious world too. Right. Yeah. Uh, Monday night or Friday night football. You got Dick Butkus and Vern Lundquist. Vern Lundquist, and then on the sidelines you got Lynn Swan yeah. <laughs> as your kind of your Aaron Andrews reporter on the sidelines. And it's rainy. It looks like hell. I mean, and then they go into halftime, and this guy, Billy Cole, gets a mysterious phone call, right, from Mm -hmm. uh, Heavy that we'll meet later named Milo. Taylor Negron. Yeah. He's pretty good at this. He's he's sinister enough uh, for this. Uh, Yeah, I want to get into the selection that seems to revolve around Shane Black and the heavies, like the the muscle of these these guys, because... It will get into it, right? Doesn't this kind of seem like a way that like Brian James would be in? Like, yes, yeah. It kind of seems like he was in Tango and Cash, but like didn't get the call for this one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another troubled action movie, but yeah, gets this call and was like, "Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, gotta step it up." You're, well, what are you doing here? Takes some PCP and then takes a gun out onto the field. And so, what we kind of allude from that is that he's in deep, right, with some mobsters, gangsters, whatever. We don't know at this point. And it's better to go out f- f- on on top than to to succumb to to the gambling debt, right? Yeah, this is absurd. This is a crazy opening to the movie. Can you imagine if this happened in real life? Crazy, dude. The NFL's just, the season's over, done. <laughs> and this ain't even gonna be the craziest thing that's gonna happen on oh. the football field. The Taylor Negron's about to go through some helicopter blades, and dude, LA's gonna just like eat it up, right? Yeah, that last fifteen minutes is bonkers. So this Billy Cole guy who in Bill, the middle Bill, of this deluge, Billy Blanks, Billy Blanks, yeah, Tybo's Billy Blanks, crazy, middle yeah. of this deluge, is having the game of his life, mm-hmm. and it's almost like this phone call comes and he's MK Ultraed, and Ooh, all right. of a sudden yeah. he turns into this on the field assassin. Now the question then is going to be going forward. Okay, that's a crazy opening, and what does it have to do with the rest of the movie? And the answer to that is. I'm not entirely sure you get your full answer. No, you don't. What the hell? <laughs> I really like, so yeah, Noble Willingham, he's the owner of the LA Stallions. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Melicon or, hang on, I got to get this yeah. right. It's a classic 80s villain name. Marcone. Marcone. Shelly Marcone. Mm-hmm. Oh, kind of like a Jerry, the Jerry Jones-esque, uh, even though he's kind of dressed like Buddy Ryan or something. Yeah. Uh, He's like really giving it to Lynn Swan here. Dude, Lynn Swan's trying to do like some investigative journalism. Do you think that no one's watching football? Or do you like, what do you think's here? Like, I think I'm questioning the ethics of your journalism. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not football that's suffering. It's journalism. Yeah, it? that's that's exactly what he says. So that those are kind of his big concerns here. Not that the fact that like the whole league's going to go under from this crazy incident. But yeah, I guess the, what, the takeaway would be there's some veiled threat and it was grave enough that this man's willing to go crazy shoot people, and then kill himself on live television. Yeah. Absurd. It's just, yeah, and so that's, I guess, our opening scene. Our inciting incident, as we get through this thing, we're introduced to Joe Hallenbeck, uh, Bruce Willis. Kind of, you know, a very Bruce Willis-y type of role. I know there's been a lot about him as of late and his retirement from acting due to a uh, uh, phagia diagnosis. You, know, you kind of feel bad for the guy. Yes. Um, but here in his prime, I mean, this is, Three years. Uh, this is the year after Die Hard 2, so he's, like, right in that space, right? He's like, action guy. Average Joe action guy, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, I think I alluded last week that there's... I could make an argument that, like... 
I could see a scenario where this is a diehard movie where this is Bruce Willis after Nakatomi stayed out in LA with his wife to make amends, but they're still going at it. Right. And he's this drunk PI instead of a New York cop. Now. Yeah. You can kind of see that. This is kind of the extension of what would happen to McLean if he stuck it out in Los Angeles. I think you're, that's very fair. And I think it's also, if you've ever wanted to see what would happen, <clears throat> Shane Black got down and really tried to do a neo-noir. This is it. It's out there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he's pretty hard-boiled. Yeah. And it's interesting that you brought up in the Bruce Willis, John McClane diehard stories still having problems with Bonnie Bedelia. Yeah. Because in a weird way, <laughs> that thread of him and the strain between he and his wife and thus his daughter... um is almost the most important piece of this film. Mm-hmm. Now, that's fine. We've seen antagonists with marital problems kind of rectify that over and over again, and it's a common trope. But it's such a strange thing that Shane Black is writing here because the end of this movie is super romantic for the craziness that we're about to go through and the things that happen in this that will break down. There's a really pretty, nice pink bow that Shane Black puts on, not only his relationship with Dix, Jimmy mm-hmm. Dix, but also with his wife. Mm-hmm. who And his daughter, for that matter. Well, the wife essentially disappears from this movie <laughs> until it matters at the end. Strange. I think it's time to do this now. Let's do this. Let's talk about Shane Black. So oh, we okay. briefly mentioned him in the Predator episode. He is one of the soldiers in that and probably did some on-set uh, script doctoring. Hey, we got Shane Black here. But most known for at this time for Lethal Weapon, right? Mm-hmm. This... Very differently written screenplay. It's very um, meta with itself, the way it talks to the writer. Uh, reader, yeah. Yeah, it ta- talks to the reader, and it sold like gangbusters, right? And yep. it turned into, I think, a pretty great film. Uh, so then he became that guy, right? The action guy with the witty dialogue. And I think some of the dialogue in this movie is pretty funny. And it's Oh, like, my God, it, there's a part in this where I was on the floor dying. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it because I, I have a few favorites of my own. But yeah, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me read this. So he wrote this script after having taken a two year break from writing triggered in part by the end of a relationship, the Geffen company, which do Geffen, uh, Geffen, Corelco, Orion, Cannon, mm. like the, the, we need more of those studios today. Like mm-hmm. they've just taken chances on these crazy action movies. Yeah. Uh, Outbid other companies paying a record $1.75 million for the script with the over $1 million guaranteed up front. Wow. Oh, crazy. So this is this comes from script. I don't know if I love this. It's kind of a little sycophantic, but maybe this is the Shane Black personality. I was busy mourning my life, and in many ways, the loss of my first real love. I didn't feel much like doing anything except smoking cigarettes and reading paperbacks. All things come around, time passed, and eventually I sat down and transformed some of that bitterness into a character, the central focus of a privatized story, which became Last Boy Scout. Writing that script was a very cathartic experience, one of the best experiences I've, I've had. Mm. I spent so much time working on that, days which I wouldn't speak, three, four days, maybe I would say a couple words. It was a wonderful, intense time where my focus was better than it's ever been, and I was rewarded so handsomely for that script. It felt like a vindication that I was back on track. Um Interesting, right? Uh, Pain makes good art. Yeah. But there's a comment here, too. It says, Shane Black and Tony Scott both said in later years how the original script was far better than the final film. Interesting. What happened? Uh, I think... Because they're both involved. Well, I think the egos, right? Mm -hmm. So we have 
Tony Scott, who's action, adrenaline type of filmmaker. You have Shane Black, who's read what's on my page, kind of kind of writer. You have Joel Silver, who's hot off of Die Hard, right? Yeah. Action movie producer. And you got Bruce Willis in here, and then you got Damon Wayans. I mean, this thing, uh, this set must have just been so cantankerous with ego because mm-hmm. Willis and Wayans hated each other film, filming this thing. And then Tony Scott and, and Joel Silver were doing this, like, left and right. Uh, so much so that I read that the producer in True Romance at the end of the movie is supposed to be, a like, a Joel Silver knockoff because mm. Tony Scott just hated his guts after wow. this. Yeah, so kind of hard to make a movie when you got so many just – all this animosity, like, uh, when the cameras aren't rolling, right? Strange that the more and more we talk about Bruce Willis and the backstage stuff or back, back behind the camera stuff comes out, more mm-hmm. and more people say how hard he is to work with. <clears throat> We've heard that from a personal friend um, about these, like, late-night harmonica sessions with lots of liquor where he made everyone sort of sit in complete silence and listen to his ramblings and musical interpretations and shit like that. Is it the... the, the Everything Kevin Smith said about that movie Cop Out, right? Yeah. That was a big one. Yep. Um, tough set. It's interesting, though. The script read better than the movie. At this point, at 1.75, I wonder, because that's a big, like you said, big price. Yeah. I wonder how much negotiation or much how much power Shane Black retained over story rights to as they would appear on the screen. I think he was there on the set. I think he was, too, which yeah. is kind of unheard of because they don't want writers around to screw things up because they have a different version. But he's kind of like a personality, right? I mean, that's like, that's a writer that he's an actor, but you could have him on your set, but he, he, it's that ego, right? I mean, you're just not going to have just whatever writer on top of your movie to, to give you suggestions and stuff. So I guess I go one of two ways on that at 1.75 with the million up front and then the almost 2 million after principal photography starts, I starts, I would assume. Mm Mm-hmm. Was he so pleased with the payday that he said, yeah, I'm going to coalesce to whatever your ideas are? Or in that negotiation, did he and his agent drive up that price? And if so, they did. Was part of that negotiation him getting a little bit more control over the page as it would appear through the lens of the camera? Either way, if neither of those... a lot of power to give to the writer. Yeah. But then here's the other simpler one, Jesse. Is that bullshit? What do they mean? It read better on the page than it looked on. And honestly, is that really even that unusual? I wonder. I wonder too if they just got a vibe. You know, too, or just like this. This we're all really proud of the script. That's why we forked over so much money for it. And then just through the deterioration of the production, it was just like, yeah, this is just not living up. You just get tired. You get worn down, right? Yeah. The ideal scenario would have been like we sold the script. Here you go, Tony Scott. Shane Black's going to go off and write another movie and not be here. Joel Silver, I'll manage from my office. I don't need to be there on set. Just let Tony Scott make his movie, man. Mm-hmm. Then he could probably do his best to wrangle Willis and, and Wayans in. She's got too many, too many cooks in the kitchen. Had to have been that because nobody would buy a script for that price tag. and be like, yeah, it's, it's a mediocre script, but we can go ahead and make it awesome. Like, no one that owns a restaurant. Yeah advertises come eat here we have mediocre food no 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 yeah everybody says we have excellent food here Mm -hmm. but the truth is that's not enough and the more kitchens you more cooks you put in the kitchen yeah the more that mediocre food either gets elevated or ruined in this kitchen metaphor that i'm using and i just think that them saying it was better on the page than it ended up being as a movie maybe maybe yeah 
I think though though the one kind of instance that did institute some change, I think, from the original product was I think the wife was supposed to be more heavily involved in the finale and kind of a damsel in distress, much like Die Hard. But I think Willis said, I just did two wife in peril movies, Die Hard one and two. I don't want to do another one. So there you go on set. Okay, we got to rewrite the whole ending now. So I think that's how we get the daughter kind of a little more in, in the back half, right? Crazy town, right? I mean, making movies is nuts, people. It's just, you, you think you, you wrote like, oh, my this script, it's perfect. And then you just give it to all these crazy other people. And then they just do whatever they want with it, right? Yeah. We'll talk about the editing later because there's some interesting comment. Three editors in this movie. So once we filmed everything, we got a huge mess on our hands. Mm-hmm. But let's get to the rest of the story first. Uh, yeah, Joe Hallenbeck, yeah, I kind of kind of interested in this character. I mean, he's so he's a drunk. He's got a kind of a shitty job. I mean, he's so desperate he'll take this crazy $500 job from his buddy Bruce McGill. Uh, After he catches him banging his wife. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, that scene. Yeah, he goes home to domestic bliss. I always kind of thought in this film that they were divorced and they were separated. No, they're very much together. But then all this other crazy stuff is going on. How dare you come into this house and pull this? No! Look, Joe. Keeping it warm for me, Mike? Easy. Don't do nothing dumb. How was she? On your finger scale, how was my wife? It just happened, Joe. It just, I know. It just happened. Could happen to anybody. It was an accident, right? You tripped, slipped on the floor, and accidentally stuck your dick in my wife. <laughs> it's pretty good. Oops. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Mrs. H. I guess this just isn't my week. Put the gun down, please. Oh, yeah, the gun. Yeah, sir, I think you're right. I think I am losing it. <laughs> Dude, domestic bliss, right? Uh, it's you know he comes in hot, right? He's like he's like where's where's Darian or the the daughter? She's like oh she's at a friend's house. Oh, oh god. She's going to be banging the entire football team by the time she's 14. And she's like, you let her put on so much makeup, she looks like a damn wreck. (laughs) He's just so negative about everybody in this movie. His daughter hates him, obviously. I mean, this kind of absentee father, right? And then he talks so bad about them behind their backs. And no wonder the wife would cheat on her. With Bruce McGill, I mean... Good for him, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And he comes out of that closet sweating bullets, right? It's it's kind of an interesting standoff, but I love how Willis delivers dialogue like that. It it, it feels like McLean to me, but you kind of see he's a little unhinged here. I guess maybe that's trying to set up. We don't know what this guy's capable of doing. Yeah. Um, Back to the desperation piece that you had, though. The, The sound that follows this is after he kind of almost shoots his buddy that's going to give him this job, you would think the next likely action would be it's a fist fight in the street or something. Kind of buddy-buddy, right? They kind of walk out and he's like, yeah, that was a bad idea and I'm really sorry about your wife. Yeah, whatever, screw that. Just head or the gut. Yeah, head or the gut. Let's get this over with and then give me the money because I got this job that I have to do. Yeah. 
which is weird because he's playing it in this film. Yeah. Like he is kind of a homeless guy. I mean, his introduction is he's passed out in his own car. Oh yeah. Sleeping off a drunk. <laughs> I think kids throw a dead squirrel. On it. Doesn't even wake him up <laughs> yeah. until they try to take his watch. Yeah. He has a house. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess we get that. Wait, there's why a, is he such a bum? Yeah. 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 He's not in that hard of a position. Um, obviously that's strained between him and the missus, Mrs. H, mm-hmm. but we don't get a whole lot of backstory on that other than he's just not there. Hard boiled jerk. Yeah. For all of Shane Black's expertise when it comes to writing and there's good and bad in mm-hmm. all of his writing. Uh, this is one of the things that maybe is part of that didn't play as well on the screen as we had thought it looked on the page. Because as much as like this Joe Helen but character, yeah. we don't know why he's is so estranged. Yeah, so so weird. So such a bum. I mean, we get that she doesn't like his response. Like he hasn't paid enough attention to her, and that's why she's choosing to carry on with this his buddy that's mm-hmm. given him this job. But even that, like, uh, well, it's not going to matter because he's about to blow up in his car <laughs> just a second. Yeah, and like this guy has thirty seconds left to live, and he doesn't yeah. even know it. Uh Kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Why is he killed? Is it because he's too close to the Halle Berry character, right? I mean, and he knows a little bit too much about this blackmailing that's going on. Has to be, right? That's the only thing it could possibly is. They assume that it's going to be him that starts the car. Yeah. But then did they come and bomb his car while he was in the house yeah, did yeah. they do it the night before right. when he was sleeping like right. and i don't know if i really it, it matters too much but there is a larger entity that wants to take him down unfortunately his buddy bites the dust and these are part of the thing the, some of the frustrating things in here uh like we talked about the billy blanks the billy cole character shooting the other characters on the field over some sort of strange phone call from taylor <laughs> negron milo <laughs> mr joshua and that's what I want. That's kind of what I want to talk about in a minute. Similar, yeah. It's like the choice of like, that is the heavy and it's sort of a bleach blonde hair, right? Well, they're both terrible. Yeah. Taylor Negron. And while we're at it, okay. What is the fascination with Shane black <clears throat> and failed comics? Like why is Rick Dukeman <laughs> in both this and lethal weapon? Yeah. And Taylor Negron got his start in Hollywood as a terrible, terrible comic. Yeah. I don't get it, but there's a lot of interesting supporting people in this. Elias, uh, uh, not, no, 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 Kim Coates. Oh yeah, he's he, he's in this one. Uh, uh, very young James Gandolfini's one of the yeah. heavies in, in this. Yeah. A little bit. He's the one that throws uh, Damon Wayne's off the overpass. Which how that didn't paralyze him. The guy that plays <laughs> the Punisher. Yeah, is Willis's um, assistant when he's yeah outside. There. What's that guy's name? Walking Dead guy and Shane. Oh. John Bernthal. There you go. John Bernthal's in this film. It's yeah. got, anyway, um, and I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> anyway, I guess we're alluding to kind of just the unidentifiable with Hallam Beck's character. Yeah. Uh, but what about Jimmy Dix? I think he's maybe fleshed out a little bit better, and he gets he gets a pretty good moment uh, a little bit, and I'll, I'll play the clip of that. But here we got him all strung out. We learned that he's been kicked out of the league for gambling. Mm-hmm. Uh but allegedly was maybe a pretty great quarterback had like a flash in the pan, like amazing season, then got kicked out. But here he's still hanging out with his old teammates, just going from girl to girl this scene. And I always remember this part too, right? Is his city like, she ain't coming up till she stop starts sucking. He's like, it's too old, too, too early for that. And then he just 
throws this football in this dude's face. I can't think about that would hurt so much. Shatters his offensive lineman's nose. Oh gosh, just like the nose is. So, and there's another nose thing. That's how he kills Kim Coates, mm-hmm. dude, bro. Nose stem into the brain. Yeah, the nose injuries. Just like when you like bump your nose or something like that. That that, that one stings, right? Oh yeah. Imagine taking like one from. Just like Football. from Herbert or Mahomes to oh. the, or Josh Allen to the face, dude. No way, shatter, dude. Kick me in the nuts. <laughs> uh, that would suck. So, so as a private investigator who is working with Halle Berry, who we're about to be introduced to here in just a moment, a young Halle Berry. This has to be one of her first things, right? Mm-hmm. It's got to be. Mm-hmm. I guess we're led to believe that she has some information. That will prove to be detrimental to whatever force opposes. And I think we've kind of identified the bad guy already, too, because the comment that the team owner makes to Lynn Swan about, I think it's the failure of journalism as he walks in, I think, with two two young women on each arm or something <laughs> like, yeah, obviously, Lech. The question is, are you going to put all that together in a way that makes any sense? I think it gets there. Um, but I, I'm glad we're talking about Halle Berry because... This was part of the question that I posed to you earlier. Could this movie get made in 2023? And you said no. Yeah. It got me thinking about Halle Berry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a woman, I guess, as an actress that doesn't care about using her body to help her portray certain characters. Yeah. And what I was sort of stunned with in this, because it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, yeah. is how handsy Damon Wayans is. Mm-hmm with her in that scene. Um, she's kind of laying on him and I guess they're in the champagne room. Yeah. And he's kind of feeling her up and then picks her shirt up. And like Halle Berry seems to be really okay mm-hmm. with using her breasts and rolls. Yeah. And this is further evidenced by another movie that I don't think you get made in 2023, which is obviously monsters ball. Yeah. So got me thinking about Halle Berry mm-hmm. and just as a general kind of question, is her career, I know she's got an Academy Award, mm-hmm. but is her career generally regarded in your mind as a hit or a miss? I would say it's a Bond girl too, Jesse. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah, it's the second worst James Bond movie. Uh, and Storm, the X-Men. I would, right. I would say more of a hit and a miss. The thing that nearly killed the whole thing was Catwoman, right? I mean, yeah. post-Oscar. Like, Huge should have been a slam dunk role, and she took that. Oh, man, yeah, that's brutal. Like, you don't come, you don't really come back from that. But she's, John Wick 3, there's been some stuff she showed up in recently that you kind of see shades of that kind of the great, you know, acting that, you know, she was synonymous with. But, yeah, it's. I think her career's been a roller coaster, honestly. Like, yeah. stuff like this, the Flintstones, Swordfish. Boomerang. Yeah, Boomerang. Uh, oh, Swordfish, yeah. Yeah, do you remember Swordfish? Uh, and then the X-Men stuff. I mean, she's like in five of those movies. Catwoman, Monsters Ball. Uh, yeah, it's it's a wild career. It but, is a wild career. But I will say more hit than miss. I think so too. Yeah. And for all of... Part of the issue that, that made me think of this was... Shane Black and this, this era of action film mm-hmm. in Lethal Weapon 2, not number two, the sequel, but Lethal Weapon also... There's always that rather gratuitous breast shot. And it's in the, there's a couple in this, but mm-hmm. there's the bit where you're talking about the lineman's trying to get the woman underneath him to give him head in the hot tub and she gets out of the pool and it's just, it's boobs. And it's not like focus on tight basic instinct, 
But it's just like rando, like nineties action gratuitous. It is. It's just like there. (laughs) And even the way it's being used with Damon Wins and Halle Berry is also sort of gratuitous, but you know, what's weird about it, Jesse, it's Mm -hmm. almost just gratuitous for Damon Wayans. Yeah. Cause when he picks up her shirt and looks in there, Mm. was that on the page? Was that ad libbed? I don't know. Cause I mean, he's feeling her up and then she knocks his hands off and he fills her up again. And then we're, we're not seeing her breasts, which I'm, this is sounding like, (laughs) Oh, I'm bummed out. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying (laughs) is it's so She's so used. Yeah. And then if you think about it. Well, this is how I felt even with uh, Method Nick Cage and Elizabeth Chu a yeah. few weeks back. It was yeah. just like, what's going on? Like, it's like, where's the acting in this? And we're just like, right. yeah, where are we going over the line? Yeah. But I will also argue if Halle Berry's okay with it, it mm-hmm. might be mm-hmm. what won her an Oscar. Because that scene in Monsters Ball is unforgettable. Because oh, it's so awkward. What? I just want to feel something that that whole crusty Billy Bob. I know, right? <laughs> that movie's crazy. So, <laughs> in an era where you don't see a lot of nudity in film anymore, think about that now. Mm-hmm. Off the top of your head, th- this was a common staple in an R-rated film for a decade. Mm-hmm. A boober here, yeah. A boob or two here or there. I should say, not a boober here. When was the last time? Everything's PG-13 now, right? I mean, PG-13 has now replaced the R as like for like the common action vehicle, right? It has. And so I think we get more cartoonish violence than anything. Mm-hmm. So gone is like the excessive drug use, the over-the-top... Where's the squibs, man? Okay, so I'm glad because this is where I'm going with this. Okay. You are already there. Yeah. Because of that, yeah. because that is such a no-no right now, mm-hmm. and if you do it, you're getting R and maybe NC-17. And if this movie comes out today, it yeah. gets done, it's an NC-17. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Or close to it. Sure. If you do that, then maybe you take away that fourth quadrant of the tent pole, which is like under 13 or whatever kid. Yeah, and they're, they're but, not coming to that. <laughs> but then you get shitty action films. Mm-hmm. But you know what takes the place of it? Yeah. Science fiction, because you can use CGI and magic. Superhero. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, where's, where's my squibs? I need squibs in my, yeah. like, I mean, like, th- this era, the, the one, the squibbinings I always remember was Di- uh, Robocop, Ed 209, that mm, guy on mm-hmm, the table. Mm-hmm. And then there's the scene in Die Hard when uh, Hans figures out that, uh, when they're having that kind of back and forth, and he's, this guy's chasing after him, and he shoots out his, like, kneecaps, and it's just, like, squib muscle that comes out, like, awesome. Like, that era, that's what defines this era of, you ain't. When someone gets shot with a gun now, it's just like almost cartoony. It's just, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't. I mean, we talked about this a little bit too. I mean, do you remember in Predator? We went on for like thirty minutes. It was like it was like an action film soapbox about like the softness of something. So we've we've been in this space before. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, but I'm with you 100. percent Yeah. Is that bad? What part that we want that? No, no, that <laughs> that PG 13 is gone this road. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I don't know how you get it back. Uh, someone's got to take a chance, right? John Wick's still pretty violent. But even that is still kind of almost cartoony. Um, it's headshots where usually when they get headshotted, then they usually fall out of frame and the blood spills and the guts spill on the ground. Yeah, you're not John Wick's violent, but it's not It's not like this kind of violence. Yeah. I'm not saying I want boobs and more blood in my films. I'm absolutely not saying that. But what I am saying is it creates certain challenges for genres 
that I think you and I kind of particularly like. So maybe this is just a personal soapbox of I wish this genre would have a little bit more well, life. No, you're also saying, you know, the, the, the genre today, it's gotten soft. I mean, has. well, the whole, isn't everything soft though? Yeah. God, yes. But you're right. The popularity, and we'll save this for next week, mm. hint, hint. Yeah. The superhero thing defines everything now. Everything. It's kind of sad. Uh, and it's, you know, in a sci-fi thing, more people will die in Guardians of the Galaxy than they will in this film. But because it's light violence, mm-hmm. they can get away with it. So, yeah, no idea. You should get an R rating depending on your body count, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still a life getting blown away. I don't care if it's an alien or not. Um, Which brings up one final thing that I'd love to hear. Okay. I'd love to hear... Shane Black, honest Shane Black, mm-hmm. not overwrought with self-important Shane Black yeah. or drunk Shane Black or whatever other <laughs> crazy, like honest Shane Black. Yeah. Talk about the last two to three projects that he's had that studios have passed on because mm. he is persona non grata right now. He's got his name literally on nothing that's of significance. Well, you remember the last movie he made, The Predator. Right. Yeah. That was trash. Trash. So, so I'm curious what has been passed on that he's done. Cause I don't think Shane black is able to tone down his style to fit the producer stylings of what a 2023 yeah. audience they think will, will stomach. Yeah. So, cause you know what they're going to put in from the director of Iron Man three. So you're, right. you're expecting that again. Well, that's a perfect example. Yeah. That movie was so bad for him that he even actually <laughs> turned it so into bad for us. Well, yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> that he was so out of ideas that he, Rewrote the end into Lethal Weapon 3. I know. That whole sequence on the oh, boat. Two, two. Two, I mean. Yeah. The whole sequence on the boat. Yeah, dipl- diplomatic immunity, right? Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. don't aren't you dying to hear that? I would love to hear what the insiders told him about, look, this is why it's not... Honestly, that would sure. be so interesting. I, I would be down for that conversation. God, that'd be a cool, <laughs> cool statement on where things are at yeah. in Hollywood. And then just talk about this movie, too, and just be like, what was going through your head here? It's like... <laughs> You have like a daughter that you just hate, right? I mean, dear God. Yeah. One uh, more thing. I don't. Want, I don't want to take you off too much. No, yeah, One more thing. Ahead, go ahead. As we talk about sort of the death, like the rise of this genre in the '90s and the subsequent death for a bunch of different reasons, time and other things, social styling, social norms, mm-hmm. feminism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Nine um, Eleven probably plays in there too. Yeah. What genre, other than science fiction? would you say in modern today, current cinema is thriving or <laughs> that might be the only other one, huh? Yeah. But horror is bulletproof, right? Kind of horror adapts to the times and it's, it's the, it's and science fiction for that matter. It's the most remarkable film organism because Weird stuff going on in the 70s, our horror's going to reflect that. You know what I mean? Like, we go through waves and different genre changes. We get hot on zombies and vampires. We get hot on found footage. I mean, it's just, I love it, right? Mm -hmm. It's like this evolving ecosystem that is always willing to surprise us and hit and miss, like, all the time. A lot of misses, lots of hits, but, man, I think it's, it's always foolproof, right? Yeah, because for, yes, that's a very loyal fan base that probably understands it in a way and puts up with some bad cinematic moments. Cause there's been a lot of bad cinematic moments in horror that you've stomached to get through that good moment. Sure. Yeah. And usually horror fans, when they grow up, we're talking about you and me, two examples of that. Mm-hmm. I'll condition my daughter to enjoy horror, probably starting with 
you know, Halloween mm-hmm. when she's ready. And I, that came up again this week too. Oh, so nice. we need to talk about that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have a big date planned where when Ava's introduction is to horror, Jesse gets to be there to uh, bring, bring in that. Um, talk my way through Halloween. Yeah, yes. no, that's fine. I mean, that <laughs> no, should, it no. should be like that. No, yeah, that'll, that'll be fun. But we were talking about the horror elements and how it plays on a very loyal fan base. And as solid as most of the horror movies have been that we've seen recently, I got to tell you, for as popular as you said science fiction might be, man, there's been a lot of shitty science fiction films that haven't done it in either. I mean, see anything that Warner Brothers has done recently. Sure. And a lot of Marvel stuff. Mm -hmm. So the point I'm making is dead genres, living genres, the two that I see popular right now, um, horror and, and science fiction. Only one of those is really turning out good content. Yeah. And where's comedy during all of this? Just okay. like, yeah. <laughs> where's comedy? Dead is dead. 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 Deader than in the Western. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That is crazy. Where's Judd Apatow? I mean, like, uh, this, <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation. Is it because, is it because TV um, is so popular and that's where your good content is? Everybody with any talent has moved to the gotcha. smaller screen? With the 50,000 different versions and platforms that they can get their stuff out Man, on. that's problematic, too. I mean, that's just like a whole nother can of worms of the, the streaming, streamization of media. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. But, no, great conversation. Here we have it. This, this is a pretty great moment here, too, because we're going to get a little more into Hallenbeck's character. He was a Secret Service guy, and when he's looking at that billboard of uh, uh, the senator, Banyan. Ba- Banyan? He has this flashback of this time he like had to go in there and like rough him up a bit because he was roughing up this woman. Uh, Baynard. Baynard, yeah. And it got him canned, right? It kind of ruined his career. So like he kind of hates this senator. And so he, that this guy's going to be integral into the plot because he's the one senator that needs to sign off on the gambling legalization. So that our bad guy's going to have to buy him off. So that's kind of the gist of the plot. But we got to get Hallenbeck out of the way and this and, and Halle Berry, all these little whistleblowers like we got to get them out and you know we're just gonna go shoot willis in the alleyway i really like this scene here um and this happens a couple times in the film so now where you want in the chest or in the head yeah that's what your wife said hey would you stop with the wife's shit ask me how fast she is fuck you man (laughs) how fat is she She's so fat, I had to roll her in flour and look for the wet spot. <laughs> what a fucker, you gotta slap with thigh and ride the wave in. <laughs> I'm not saying she's fat. Her high school picture was an aerial photograph. <laughs> and then some. It's a pretty good scene. I, um, twice in this film... Willis is able to dispatch these terrible henchmen with yo mama jokes and then with puppet jokes later. And they just like, they Die. eat it up, right? <laughs> just like, oh my God, this is the funniest guy ever. Yeah. And they just lose concentration and they all pay the price. Yeah. But just those jokes. I mean, that's, that's Shane Black's, I mean, like writing is this dialogue is just so witty. But not that the point of her is just like everyone's quipping. You know what I mean? Like everyone quips in movies now in television and... It gets really annoying. I think in the Shane Black film, I think it just, everything feels a little more organic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just his strength, right, as a writer. Yeah. And that's why Lethal Weapon's so good as Riggs and Murtaugh go tit for tat, that whole film. 
and then end up like forming this camaraderie. Uh, and they kind of set the same thing up here with him and him and Wayans as this kind of weird, strange partnership. And <clears throat> I did want to ask you about this because this kind of is a bit of a shame black mantra, right? Is weird partnerships. I mean, Riggs and Murtaugh, Jimmy Dixon, Hallenbeck, uh, Val Kilmer and Downey, Downey, Jr. Downey Jr., uh, Gina Davis and Samuel Jackson. I mean, yep. we, we, it's like they don't make sense on paper, but then on film and in the writing, it kind of works. Yeah. Yeah. Simply enough, it's a great idea to put two opposites together because you get great, great conflict there. That's why Iron Man 3 was so good with him and the, the kid. Yeah. And then he just totally just shit the bed with that. Blew it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the strange partnership with two sides that don't seem to work, then, yeah, there's a lot of good there. What he's able to do, though, is match wit for wit in a way that when a lot of opposites are put on screen together, it's usually one in a superior position and the other one spends the rest of the film trying to match that level to get that one moment where they get over on the other. I feel like this, although Willis is the more um, savvy PI, I kind of feel like quick talking, jive talking, shit talking, Dix can match him if he's maybe not even better. Like sure. he might even be a little faster on mm-hmm. his on his tongue yeah. than Bruce Willis is. Yeah, and you get that really good like Damon Wayne's like high pitched delivery. Like, hey, you're a man. Like, I, I really like that. So. Yeah. But yeah, this is a great moment. So he's in the alley and um, talks this guy off the ledge with some bad jokes. And then <laughs> you get the other part of this that's yeah. kind of underplayed to this moment. Hallenbeck's a badass. Yeah. yeah you, he, he knows a way. He gets some good fisty cuffs and knows his way around a gun. You don't buy it because he's kind of got a little bit of a gut and he's sloppy <laughs> and he's drunk and he's got that five o'clock shadow and just generally looks bad. Yeah. But when push comes to shove, yeah, yeah he's the one doing most of the pushing. On the opposite side of the alley, they're squibbening Halle Berry, right? Oh I mean, God. she they gets just she gets fucking smoke her, don't she? She gets blown away. God, yeah, yeah. So loose end tied, but now we got these these two guys. You're like, what's going on with them? So, you know, they're inter- and then subplot A or B of this crazy movie is this police chief that just like has it out for Hellenbeck, right? He's just trying to find like any lead to tie him to the crimes because he just like hates him, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so stupid, but. Uh, we do really start to get this partnership between him and Wayans and they go to Corey's apartment. It's been ransacked. They're looking for the evidence and they find this cassette tape, right? It was kind of left with the, the drugs, which are all that's keeping Wayans afloat, right? I mean, I think there's a statement to be made there too. And maybe more so now yeah. in today's current NFL than back then of just how overrun those players are, whether it's the hits or the fast lifestyle. I mean, you got all these guys, you just like, dying like cte and heat stroke i mean like what's 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 going on i mean like and then he has that great rant later he's like that's the only thing that's keeping me up man or demerol right yeah crazy i don't buy that marion barber story for a minute by the way i believe he died but he didn't die from heat that's bullshit there's there's a story there something else yeah anyway i digress let's get back to this um we're led to believe that the reason that Helen Beck is so hard boiled has to do with that Senator ruining his career. And from that point forward, as an actual clean cut, nice looking, the boy scout that went in to protect the girl who's getting beat up by that Senator, he has done whatever he's done to derail this guy's career. And from that point to where we now are, everybody seems to hate him, his wife, his kid, 
Um, Halle Berry, I think, tolerates him, but only for the right amount of money, et cetera, et cetera. When did he go from the Boy Scout, i.e. the last Boy Scout, to this hateable, down-in-his-luck, hard-boiled derelict? Yeah, there's information we're never given, right? And honestly, they not, they're not afraid to show you some of that in flashbacks. Because we do get a little bit of him in the backstory with the senator through some flashbacks that we see Helen Buck have. Yeah. And then we also find do out- you, Are you okay with like one or two more that maybe show the continued degradation of this man's character? Yeah. Like, do you care? I don't, I don't know if I care or not. I think I want to see it, but I don't know if I care. I think I maybe want a little bit a more. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's just a little in, ill-defined. There's a lot of filling in the blanks here. And we find out later, I mean, he takes a bullet for Jimmy Carter. <laughs> yeah. And you got to think- Huge you, mistake. You got to think- <laughs> Take a bullet for a president. You got carte blanche the rest of your life, right? I mean, there's got to be some sort of like, yeah, uh, like props paid back to you for doing that. Uh, I don't know, but yeah. like he's just, this guy's just like down on his luck. He's got a bad attitude. <laughs> he's just <laughs> the, um, just the wrong guy, but he's smart. I mean, I mean, they're listening to this tape. I really like this between the two of them too. Hello, hey Calvin, Shelly Marcone. That's Marcone. How you doing this evening? I'd prefer you didn't use my name. Man's a trifle skittish. Calvin, if I didn't know you better, I'd think you were contemplating something shady. Well, there's no oh, law the against contemplation. Stuff. Not unless you pay for Fast forward. No, don't! It ain't the tape! Fast forward! It's the fucking tape! I'm supposed to know it that. It's the tape! I only a piece of evidence in your shitty car ain't the tape! Fucking car sucks. Just shut the fuck up! Shut your car the fuck Just up, fucking man. ruin. I'm gonna crush your nuts. Oh, look at this. This is ruined, I swear to God. Fast forward, it's the tape. It's a nice, good back and forth uh, between these two guys. The Just the cantankerous relationship of two guys that are opposites, right? I mean, these guys can't be more different. Dix ac- ac- asks him uh, earlier in the film, he's like, you ever play any sports? You look like you're kind of built for I it. like your too. build. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like dad bod building yeah. kind of a thing yeah. with, the, with the five o'clock shadow. But <laughs> yeah. he does save his life here in a second. I mean, he goes to get back into Corey's car that's wired to blow. C4 on the ignition, right? That's this gang's MO. Yeah. Saves his life. And then these gangsters come and start questioning them. And they're doing kind of a routine back and forth just to kind of give them enough time. And yeah, they shoot the C4 in the back of this thing. Those guys blow up. And then these guys go tumbling down the hill. Kind of, you know, Tony Scott's good at blowing stuff up. I mean, it looks good, them tumbling down the hill. Everyone's all bloody and messed up. And then it kind of becomes, uh, oh, I need to go back home. I need I need some rest. Like, like, we need to recharge the batteries before we go at this again because we're getting blown out, getting shot at. What's going on here? Do you want to come with me? And, and very reminiscent of Lethal Weapon, right, when uh, Murtaugh takes Riggs to his home life. Yep. Someplace that like that person like doesn't belong, and this scene, man, this is like it's like a Sam Mendes movie now. It's mm-hmm. like American Beauty or like Revolutionary Road. Yeah. Oh God, the shouting. A little Danielle Harris, who uh, I know her best from Halloween four and five, is Jamie Lloyd. Mm-hmm. But man, she's giving it to her dad. Watching Lethal Weapon, right yeah. on TV, giving it to her dad left and right, like calling him asshole and this and that. And Willis is throwing ice cream out the window. He's a terrible neighbor. Uh, all this shouting and you know, she calls him a fuck up and he's like, Darren, I don't care to like whatever, but when you live under my house and my rules, like you don't ever call me a fuck. I was like, that's what mom calls you. And that's the deal breaker. Though. Right. Yeah. 
like he's just giving it to his daughter back and forth and that's about respect and you clean up your potty mouth kind of similar to you know you hang out with coconuts you coconut friends you coconuts oh yeah rocky and yeah you know, little mary or whatever that little whatever what the hell's her name in that anyway <laughs> um but then when she tell, yeah little marie yeah um when she tells him why can't i call you that that's what mom calls you all the time. Yeah. Something snaps. Mm-hmm. So for me, this is one of the few defining moments in this Helen Buck character that gives us a little bit of how far he'll go and gives him a touch, just a touch, Jesse, mm-hmm. of humanity. Yeah. This woman that has given him what seems to be nothing but a hard time for a number of months, but he's still burning something for, and we're going to find out later that he still loves his wife. He's going to admit so much to Dix in a few minutes, or maybe he's already done. No, I think it's coming. When she says, I learned to call you this because mommy called you that, that is a heavy, heavy blow to him. Yeah. Not only does his daughter think that about him, but his daughter thinks that about him because his wife thinks that about him has installed, instilled that in her. Mm -hmm. We start to see for the first time, a touch, and I just mean a touch, yeah. of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's a big moment in the noir or the depiction of the private investigator of protagonist in the noir. Yeah, soften them a bit. Can't be so hard that their exterior is just sunburned leather. They have to have a little touch of humanity in there. Yeah. So we're dark, but man, we're about to get a whole lot darker. Yeah. Alex was my son. The accountant. I used to be married. One Sunday, I'm away in Miami. She couldn't come because she was eight months pregnant. Walking down La Brea Boulevard, out of nowhere, a pickup truck jumped a curb. Pow. Never knew it hit her. She died. But Alex lived for 17 minutes in an incubator. He fell asleep. Had time for one dream. And then he died. I think about him all the time, man. I threw for 300 yards that day. While my wife and kid were dying, I had the game of my life. Pretty good scene here. Uh, he's really good in it, <clears throat> and the the writing's pretty good. But talked about Willis a lot. What do you think of Damon Wayans? Just like in general, I mean, like, what's your barometer on Mr. Wayans? Damon Wayans was part of another staple in the late 80s and early 90s that wouldn't survive today, and that was in Living Color. Yeah, I loved him there. Yeah. I loved him as Blank Man. Oh my God, Blank uh, Man! Remember that? Oh, that movie's good. Slap me around and call me Susan. Um, he's really good in this film. You remember Blank Man? <laughs> Hang on, I gotta do this because I watched it a few months ago. Did you? I used to rent that all the time as a kid, and every joke over your. Head. So when I saw it this time, I was like, "Wow!" Yeah. Uh, whenever he gets kissed, I mean, he just like starts to orgasm, and he goes, "Eh, eh." I'm shutting down G5. I was like, what is he doing? It had me in hysterics. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. 
He's really good. This yeah. is the first time I'd seen him in a real dramatic role. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was a tough sell for me early on. And look, at 1991, yeah. this is wheelhouse stuff for me. Like I'm 18 years old, 19 mm-hmm. years old. And Living Color and all that stuff is a part of my everyday existence. Yeah. The Simpsons and Living Color was the best Sunday night on TV. You couldn't couldn't do better. Yeah. Um, and then he comes out in this. And I remember thinking to myself, man, okay, he's just going to do like tougher than yeah can be kind of urban and he doesn't like he plays it he plays it pretty well yeah shows that he's got some acting chops i think he's really good in this film yeah to be so much that when we do um our awards at the end of the film he's mm. going to be mine it's a good choice no yeah he's he's really good i kind of uh that the, the yeah this blank man major pain that was another big <laughs> one uh uh, yeah, he had kind of an interesting, uh, kind of inter- uh, the, the whole Wayans clan, I think, is, is very interesting. Keenan Ivory and all that. And they were integral in, in Living color. color. And, dude, his son, dude, just, like, looks spitting image of his dad, yeah. right? Uh, Damon Wayans Jr. So think about, you know, the talent on, everybody talks about the talent on Freaks and Geeks, mm-hmm. and it's plenty there. Mm-hmm. And the talent on In Living Color, right down to the J-Lo dancing. And Jim Carrey. Yeah. That, that whole thing. Stacked. Yep. So... Damon Wayans has got to really have a, a tough job here because he's going against the everyday hard ass that Bruce Willis had mm-hmm. really carved a nice niche for himself in, in that role. Right. Certainly with Die Hard and this to follow and then Die Hard too. like the, he was this guy. Yeah. You're going to go in there and it's this very omnipotent force that you have to play straight man to in a sense. And I don't mean straight man in the comedy, but for Willis to be, Willis, hard-nosed, hard-boiled, every man. One of the two of you has to be vulnerable a little bit. Otherwise, it just both comes across as angry and pissy. Yeah. We're going to get into that a lot next week, by the way. But <laughs> in this, that moment right there, yeah, humanizing him, talking about his son would have been an accountant, and I threw for 300 yards on the day that my wife and son were dying. Yeah. And then you get to the pain that he's talking about, mm-hmm. that... Um, Falcone mm-hmm. brings up later. <laughs> Marcone. Falcone. <laughs> oh, they're all villains. Yeah. That Marcone brings up later. Is he talking about the physical pain or is he talking about the emotional pain? Maybe a little both. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, this is a great scene. Yeah, it's, great. it's dark. Dark as hell. I mean, this like 15 minutes of this movie is just like, man, what did we what did we turn into here? This is crazy. And then I'm always this is kind of a little tragic for me too, because I'm like they're finally softening the edges, right? They're kind of coming together yes. as partners. And then what happens in the very next scene, he's snorting some blow and he's like, you get the hell out of my house, man. <laughs> so frustrating. This, let's say 10 minutes that we're talking about right now yeah. is the best of Shane Black. The best of Shane Black is not the action sequences. Yeah. The be- Shane Black action sequences are, let me see how crazy I can make this and get away with it. To like, No, it's Mel Gibson with the gun in his mouth, right? right. Over his dead wife. Yeah. Right. Yeah. See, and I think that's, what's missing from a lot of his work. Mm-hmm. It's what it, and you even said to, you even alluded to it a little while ago yeah. in Iron Man three, before that movie loses itself, what's working is the pain and the awkwardness, but the vulnerability between Tony Stark and that kid, because Tony Stark later, they're going to play that out. And he's going to be a lot of the, the end game is his dad role. Yeah. He fathers that kid to a certain extent to that. And then it, it loses itself. Shane Black's yeah. really good, yeah. shockingly, mm-hmm. in this space, which brings up another point that I want to give you. Is he miswritten in action? As action guy? Should he have been more, I don't want to say rot drama, but is he is he 
is he the less funny version, the less funny, more talented version of Mark Webb? Oh yeah. Yeah. If he wanted to be, if he wanted to be. Yeah. I think, I think the action's all a bonus, right? Setting the stage with these spectacular set pieces and interesting characters and they all have great names, right? Yeah. Alan Beck and Martin Riggs. I mean, Mr. Joshua, even though his character is crazy. Roger Murtaugh just rolls off your tongue. Yeah. Like everyone just has like these great Jimmy Dix. Like that's a great name. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that's really good. But yeah, in these more softer, more dramatic moments, I think I think they kill. I mean, I think they're really good. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he did kind of write himself into an acting corner, and that's he's the action guy, right? So if you ever wanted to do like American Beauty or Revolutionary Road, they'd be like, really, Shane? No. And that's too bad because yeah. we agree per writing, this is the best writing in the film. Yeah. This, this moment is singularly better than any other moment when it comes to right, like the written piece. Mm-hmm. Now we can talk about crafting an entire story from fade in to fade out and making sure all the beats are, and that's a whole other conversation. But these two guys who have been at odds with each other the whole time and also on set yeah, are able to, like you said, start to build the bridge that I believe and begin to care about. And it's done in a way that's also still germane to what they've set up through yeah. let's have a drink yeah, and I'm going to tell you why I don't have my NFL career anymore mm-hmm. or whatever league that is. And I'm going to tell you at the same time that water's wet, the sky is blue, and I still love my wife Yeah, because that's in that moment too. Yeah, that's good. And you know, then they, they doubled down. So he, he gets kicked out for doing drugs in the house, get out of my house and he punches him and that's when he has his meltdown of like i'm in pain man and i need the demerol to like it's the only thing that makes the pain go away as he's leaving the daughter catches him and is like would you sign this for me he's like i know who you are and he's like my dad used to watch you all the time and it was like the when you got caught for cheating is the day he stopped watching football so even that is pretty loaded right i mean to have such love and stake in the game to have one player one moment ruin it for you and it's the guy you're working with so there's extra animosity there too right yeah so yeah, the, the whole the whole is as much as this doesn't belong in this movie, it's the best part of this movie. Yeah, yeah, this is like a like a like a John Cassavetes movie or something, just like domestic, just nightmare. Everyone yelling, calling each other assholes and stuff. It's this is good stuff. Yeah, it is good stuff. Then we're about to double down on the crazy again because Dix leaves, pick up the next morning, and he's being. Thrown over an overpass by Kim Coates and James Gandolfini. It's just absurd. Dude. Like, the guy should be paralyzed. Yeah. Gets up like it's no big deal. And then Hallenbeck gets tased at his front door by Taylor Negron. And then I, I did like this line. It, it's so cheesy that these lines work on me where the cop comes up to the door because they're about to pin the crime on Hallenbeck, right? The, the His wife's uh, affair guy. They're about to pin that on him. And the cop comes up and he was like, Oh, officer, he's like, oh, there's no problem here, but this gun has too many bullets in it. Bam! <laughs> so stupid it works, right? Yeah, yeah. And then we get the like the moment we take him back to the estate de Marcone, and I, I don't know if I... This is the James Bond thing, right? It's the the Bond villain thing where, like... Gonna, More money than God. No, no, I'm going to tell you all my plans oh. before I kill you, right? Yeah. Any sensible villain would kill and then just keep that to themselves. But I don't know. Maybe the ego in you—you you maybe you'd want someone to know what you're what you're really doing. So mm-hmm. uh, we kind of get we get this uh, little breakdown here. So you're gonna bribe some senators to legalize gambling? Legalize sports gambling. 
You see, with all the heroes gone, legalized gambling is about the only thing it'll save the beast. You follow me, Joe? We're talking about some big bucks here. We're talking about billions. That's nine zeros, son. I'm not your fucking son. Well, Joe, have you ever heard of the Senate's Commission to Investigate Gambling and Professional Sports? Is that who you're paying off? The commission's going to vote next March. I got every one of them in my hip pocket except Senator Calvin Baynard. I tried to bribe that son of a bitch, Joe, and he gave it back because it wasn't enough. <laughs> What's he want? Six million. Or he'll go straight to the police. You know, I think it's just going to be cheaper to kill that son of a bitch. <laughs> mm. <laughs> the story just gets so complicated for its own good. So, okay, so now there's this whole blackmailing thing that Halle Berry was doing to get Jimmy Dix's job back as starting quarterback of the LA Stallions. Right. That's what the tape is. And it's all this stuff about legalizing gambling. And that's, I guess what killed Billy Blanks earlier in the film that they found out about that and they had to kill him. Now we're doubling down on, we're going to legalize sports gambling to save the NFL. Uh, but we need this one Senator. And even though we can't, uh, he says, no, the price tag, we're going to give him what he wants, but we're still going to blow him up. Don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. And he's like, that's what is going to save the NFL is legalizing gambling so everyone can gamble when it's not illegal. Not the fact that people are blowing people away on the field or the fact that we're about to shoot up this stadium here in about a, 30 minutes mm-hmm. and put a guy through a helicopter blade. <laughs> like, yeah, the NFL's just canceled at this point. Like, this is absurd, but I, I, I'm kind of going with it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wanted absurd action. I'm kind of getting it. It's, well, you're, yeah, you're really about to get it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I actually do think what the owners would go through to save their dying league and gain leverage over senators for gambling in order to do that. Like I buy that. Yeah. That's, that's actually pretty solid. Yeah. It's just the plan to get the 6 million back after we blow him up after he's not voted. Cause we blew him up before he got the chance to vote. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, that doesn't really make sense. So yeah, it's a little bit wonky, it's, but at this point you are kind of so inundated with just what's been over the top dialogue and over the top action. This is just sort of par for the course. It's right? kind of crazy to see kind of like the alleged NFL in this film, like just painted in like we're lose the ratings are so down and you're just like when just like sports across the board and just like mm-hmm. everything goes through the NFL today, right? Yep. Um and it's just interesting. The NFL could use that or the NBA could use that plan right now because they're rating numbers. Do you say well, rating just numbers? Every sport, right? Oh, I mean and what what atrocious. what is it? I mean like, you know, NFL has like it's it is all its craziness to go with it. What, what, what all its controversies. But everyone still watches it. Like, I mean, th- there was a stat, uh, you'll like this. It was, I think it was week 17. It was my team against the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. My team was already out of the playoffs. Yeah. That thing had a rating share, I think, of like 14 million Saturday night, and it was more than like game seven of, or game six of the last year's NBA finals. That's just nuts. like, no one watches like a meaningless game. I mean, yeah, a meaningless game gets more viewership than the big game in another sport. I mean, well, that's hockey. That's especially baseball and big time in basketball. I think that if you want to go to the big four, and I'm including hockey in the big four, I think okay. hockey has always been fourth. Mm-hmm. The numbers that I've seen lately are showing that hockey is close to catching baseball with eyes on. Mm. Um, but the big, big drop has been the NBA. And this, it, and you know why, Jesse? Yeah. They're league shit. Yeah. It's a bad league. No, it's a bunch of hopping, right? Yeah, this is a hot take, and people may want to throw stuff at the 
whatever device you're listening to this on right now. But for as talented a player as Steph Curry is, he's ruined the NBA. Because what it's turned into now is I can jack this up from 35 feet. And I'm not saying I want everybody to come out and run the triangle offense either. I'm not saying that. Because not everyone can do that. I think that's the lesson, right? Right. But exactly. Because he is so unique in what he can do. Sure. And LeBron James is so divisive that, like, for me, like, I can't stay. I hate that guy. Yeah. But because nobody else can really do the way Steph does. Yeah. You get a lot of bad basketball because a lot of guys are going to try. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, the the you are I don't think Utah Jazz are, are better. The Charlotte Hornets are going to try and do the same thing, yeah, and fail mightily because they don't have the talent, right? Well, and they're the, the league is star driven, yeah, and I think that's the frustrating part of me. Run tab tangents yeah, here. Who cares? No, this is great because yeah, since you know the early to mid two thousands, like the NBA has been almost you know almost unwatchable just because yep. of the lack of loyalty. Yep. You know, I was reading these kind of crazy things of the best sports teams that kind of never were, and there was a lot of, like, Portland Trailblazers with Bill Walton. And you get these players stick it out with horrible teams where if – can you imagine Walton teaming up on the Lakers with Magic in, the like, the 80s? Like, they, they would have won, like, 10 championships. Yeah. But they didn't. Like, back then, like, dude, Drexel, they would stay on those shit teams and then maybe get lucky and get in there. And I think that's what made the league so good, right? It was like, yeah, maybe this is my team's year and we got a chance because we got these great players that will stick it out for 25 years. Oops, no, no, not now. Kyrie Irving's going to go to the Lakers. Like, what, what the hell, man? Well, I'm going to further with what you're saying. The other thing that's caused irreparable harm for professional sports is fantasy fantasy sports. Sure, yeah. Because now you don't pull for teams, you pull for individual players. So you are the guy that stats, in the seventh yeah. round found running back, blah, 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 blah. And they helped you in your league championship. And now you love that guy forever. Yeah. And you don't love his team. You love him. And when your, your loyalty is to a player, then you get, you know, sure, I just yeah. want to watch this guy play. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that guy mm-hmm. isn't on the best team. Yeah. I think it happens more in baseball and basketball. Baseball for sure, right? I mean, there's a lot of teams that get very top loaded. Yeah. I don't think it happens yeah. in football as frequently. I mean, look like the, like the Bills are kind of an interesting case, right? I mean, putting together a solid, solidly talented team, like not through like the means that like the Lakers assemble a team, right? Organically, it just seems rare. It's just it, it, yeah, you pick here and there from free agency. Every team does, but there's exceptions, I think, to how the NFL. And maybe that's why it's more watchable. I think. As a free market guy yeah. at my core, yeah. I will have to say the biggest service the NFL did to itself was instituting a hard cap yeah. because it forces teams to make decisions that as much as I don't want to spread the talent around because it should be to the victor go the spoils, it keeps the league balanced. Yeah. The Bengals made the Super Bowl last year. Crazy. Say no more. Yeah, exactly. Do you know who's not going to make the Stanley Cup playoffs next year? Yeah. The Islanders. Yeah. Do you know who's not going to make the World Series this year? The Pirates. Yeah, the Pirates <laughs> or the Royals. They're it's, not. It's true. Yeah, I mean, like there's there's certain disadvantages to the, the those teams. We are down to in baseball right now. There are five teams that can win the World Series. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. Yeah. In football, there are fifteen teams that have a legitimate crack at yeah, it right that's, now. That's great. And even the teams that don't have a crack at it right now, like Detroit. Yeah. There's a chance that they could have a really good year and go you, ten and seven and make the playoffs. You never know the surprises. Exactly. And there's uh, one or two every single year. I'm see not, Joe Burrow and the Bengals. I'm not saying 
Jacksonville's going to do it, but you could see like a team like just like has a turnaround, right? It's just like it's crazy, and that's why I like it. Everybody is a Joe Burrow and a Jamar Chase away from making the playoffs and having a run in the NFL. Yeah, because that is literally what got them there last yeah. year. Don't give me Joe Mixon. Yeah. It wasn't. It was those two. Yeah, that tandem, which is going to. It was those two. It'll be and it'll be hell for us, right? For yes. like a decade now. I mean, it's just it got harder for us alongside of that. <laughs> so how this relates to this podcast on the film is this. This owner who is seeing, seeing his, his league die at the moment is maybe an admission that Shane Black doesn't know the sporting landscape as well as he should, or is it just a foil that gives us an entry point into this action vehicle? It's that. <laughs> yeah, I kind of feel like Shane Black, he feels like the way he writes, like he would kind of like sports. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know him, but it kind of seems like yeah, it. Maybe, doesn't? yeah. This is crazy. I just I, I I love how just convoluted, unnecessarily convoluted the plot gets. It kind of makes me buy in a little bit more. And then we get this crazy exchange of money in the middle of the woods. Damon Waynes is there with the Into daughter, who luckily showed up because she brings a gun to this thing. And this is when Willis does his little puppet <laughs> charade that kills. He slays the house. Right. Yeah. He shuts that down. Enough for them to get out. And then we get a pretty great car chase. I think. Yes through the Mulholland uh, Drive here or like Hollywood Hills, wherever the hell we're at, mm-hmm. into this guy's swimming pool. Everything's <laughs> Rick on- Dukeman. Yeah. What? Yeah. 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 The burbs, right? Yeah. Well, he was the guy that was, hey, can we get the grid shut down and die hard? Oh, I can't shut oh, it down. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's him. Yeah, yeah. He, he was that guy in like all those movies, right? Yeah. Showing up here and there. Uh, but yeah, he was, uh, yeah, they land in his pool and then he gets killed for no reason too. Yeah. I mean- on the on the freeway, you got this crazy chase. The cars are tumbling all over. We got to get the money, but Taylor Negron's got a bargaining chip now with the daughter, so everything's leading towards uh, the stadium, right? And mm-hmm. we've got to save the senator. I did you love the line too, right? It was the line was like, "Hallenbeck, you might be the stupidest guy in the thing. You want to save the se- you're going to save the senator who's ruined your career to avenge the death of the guy that was fucking your wife." <laughs> Good line. Genius. It's it's exactly what the movie has become. Is that line better than, no, 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 baby. I didn't call you fat. You're just a whole lot of woman. So come on and help me out now, big mama. I was literally on the floor laughing so hard. Well, I'll tell you that. And then this one might be my favorite. All right. How'd you like to get kicked Kick off the, the fucking planet? planet? <laughs> He's got good lines, man. He yeah. delivers them well. That's great. That's a great scene. So then we kind of get into this crazy Mexican to get kicked off the fucking planet. Hey, I'd love to tell that to somebody. That'd be, that'd be awesome. <laughs> oh, that's great. Hey, got kicked off the fucking planet. <laughs> we get this kind of crazy Mexican standoff here in... I guess in the offices of the stadium and then how the crowd doesn't hear this crazy firefight that's about to take place here. Just like, I, I guess they're used to it, right? Yeah. Yeah. This LA crowd just craves violence. Uh, but yeah, we got the daughter. We're going to kill her. He shoots Jimmy Dixon, his million dollar hand. Right. Yep. And then uh, they had these bullets, uh, rippers, blazers, tracers, rippers, shredders, shredders. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Every other word I didn't say <laughs> that explode their, um, they got an explosive charge in them. And so through some titter tat and some good kind of like bouncing around this very lethal weapon, like shoves one of these bullets in the fire and it just explodes. They catch a guy on fire. Nice battle fisty cuffs here. 
But it's like, okay, what's going on here? Like, Taylor Negron's up in the rafters. He's going to shoot the senator. We got to fix that. And then we're going to let this guy go off with the money, and he ends up taking the wrong case, right? As the villain's going to take the case with C4 in it. And as absurd as all that is and crazy, the craziest thing in this whole bit is after Dix threatens to blow that guy off the planet, he hops on a stallion (laughs) and in the middle of a down, in the middle of the play, tackles the running back with the stallion, takes the football, throws it with his million-dollar just-shot hand skyward to intercept the bullet that Taylor Negron has shot at the senator in the nick of time. Yeah. And somehow... Yeah. The stallion in the middle of the field is the most believable piece in all of that, Jesse. <laughs> to Shane Black and that bullshit. Yeah, that was just like, figure it out. Look at you. This hand is shot. He throws it at, what, half a mile? Well, you gotta, To protect the senator from where, the bullet where from Taylor Negron's side. Well, the LA Coliseum up to wherever like the skybox. the skybox is. Yeah, it's a hell of a throw to intercept the bullet. No, my crazy moment in this part is, so... Uh, Marcone goes to the parking lot and he sees the white BMW and he's like, "Hey, you weren't you weren't fooling me, were you?" And he, there's people in the background yeah. walking to get to the game and he's just poof, 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 in the back of this thing and those people don't even bat an eye. To, I guess they're used to gunfire right yeah. at their football yeah. games. <laughs> Jesus went to a gunfight at the Coliseum and a football game broke out. Oh my gosh! And so we get the Taylor Negron versus Bruce Willis on 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 the rafters of the the. the one of the lights here and it's just absurd and he's shooting into the crowd at this point <laughs> hitting god knows how many people yeah and then the SWAT team comes you know Willis always told me he's like if I told you hit me again I was gonna kill you and then they shoot him he falls off the lights and into the blades of this helicopter man if you were in the audience dude you'd be scarred for life yeah you just saw a guy get shredded yeah Hey, another day at LA Coliseum. Boy. <laughs> League's ratings will be up for that game. Oh, my God. Yeah, all broadcast on live TV. And as if LA couldn't crave more violence that on top of that, everyone the debrief outside of the, the Coliseum, we kiss and make up with the wife. What do you think of this? Because their whole thing was like, I, I cheated on you to get a rise out of mm-hmm. you. And he's like, you should have got a fucking dog. Or why can't you just, like, show some emotion, Joe? Like, why can't you just say, like, fuck you, Sarah? Like, it's spit in my face. And do you kind of like the callback here? I do. It's kind of sweet, as, yeah. as as harsh as the dialogue is, right? Yeah. It means well, as only Shane Black can really do. Mm-hmm. They kiss and make up. Everything's good with the daughter. <clears throat> Where's the money? And then it's like Marcone's back up at his estate, right? And opens it up with his two Doberman Pinscher dogs <laughs> opens it up, kaboom, and there's just an explosion in the LA Hills. No big deal, right? And Dixon and Helen Buck are like high five and like, we got like, him. Yeah. yeah, violence. Just like, dude, like, there's like 50 people probably died in that neighborhood. It's absurd. And those dogs, die. <laughs> Bacon. But you just kind of, you, you, you lean into the absurdity at this point and. <laughs> you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. Yeah. If you've made it to this point in the film without having turned it off or walked out. This is exactly probably the ending that you'd get. But then we do. Let's take it from the 15 that it's turned and turn it down to six and get the sweet ending. They kind of set up a sequel, don't they? They had. Okay, glad you brought it up. Yeah. It had to have been. Mm-hmm. But the movie failed galactically. Because what happens is husband and wife kiss and make up. And we get the great line with Dix and Helen Buck walking away. And he says, 
um, you know, you got to have a call line. Like, you mean like it's back? Like, yeah, that's okay. But like, you, you grab a surfboard, and you're gonna bust the guy the, up with the surfboard. You got to say, surfs up. Yeah, you're learning, and like, they're kind of tongue in cheek making fun of action movie this own genre. Yeah, and I wonder, Jesse, mm-hmm. I mean this. Yeah, did Shane Black write some of these crazy bits in here on purpose as satire? Yeah, maybe. Like so over the top that it's almost comedy. It has to be. And is that why, okay, so I just realized this now too. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why they said, because they had that insider information, that being um, Tony Scott and Shane Black. Yeah. Is that why it played better on the page mm, yeah, maybe. than it did on the screen? Because they knew like, hey, this is kind of an action satire if you want to be truthful about it. Because like in one moment in the middle of like the third quarter, we're going to have a guy in a stallion running through the line of scrimmage knocking down the running back to take the football, to throw it skyward, <laughs> to intercept the bullet that the gunman in the crowd was going to use to kill the senator with, who we need the money for gambling. Like, that is so over the top. Maybe we're missing the real thing here. Maybe this is satire. I would say that if it, the film didn't lean so heavily into drama at those great moments that we really liked. So maybe there's just an imbalance problem. Well, that's what I also wonder. Is yeah. this, if he's as... Shane Black, when he wants to know what he's showed that he knows what he's doing, he can, yes? Yeah. Do you, is that particular to just moments? Does he, can you write dialogue like that that we talked about and spend a few minutes singing his praises? Can you write that and be in that much control of your characters and then be so out of control with the action bit without maybe us missing? Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be like this, Matt and Jesse and moviegoers because- it's fucking satire. Yeah, maybe. Just doesn't feel like that, right? It doesn't though. It just, it's, it's played so straight. Like when Billy Blanks is shooting those guys, or I think we're not supposed to be. We laugh because of how absurd it is, but I think we're just like, yeah, it's kind of serious. It's played like really like not for laughs. I don't know. To me, in my mind, the worst action film at this era with its one-liners is The Running Man. Like I love it, but the mm-hmm. the one-liners in that. Yeah. They, there are plenty. Hey, Christmas tree. Yeah. Hey, light bulb. Well, my favorites. You're Sub-Zero, now Plane Zero. Now you're Plane Zero. <laughs> Silly. I'll be back only in a rerun. Like, that movie is just filled with them. I don't do requests. <laughs> For them, in the end, to kind of make fun of Arnold yeah. with the It's Bach. Nah, you can no, do better be than that. Yeah. I wonder, Jesse. Maybe. Maybe. This is the same year as T2, which is a far superior film, right? Far. <laughs> I just thought of a great idea for a cask. <clears throat> he also says, fuck you, Sarah, in this. Yeah. Sarah Connor? Yeah. Sarah Connor? Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, maybe. Anyway, all right. Yeah, deeper analysis we'll have to do. Uh, but this cask I just kind of came up with. We need to come up with one more. But we should do a cask about screenplays that set Hollywood ablaze. Because mm. then we could do Lethal Weapon. We could do Scream. Mm. And... We need one more in there. Like, think of like just like something that like people bid on that went crazy for, and whether it was good or bad, like it happens. Yeah, okay, fairly. Six cents was that, but we already did that one. But like, I'm sure we can find another. Yeah. Let me let me read this too because I think this is just the icing on top of <clears throat> everything we're talking about. So this is from the editors. Different editors were hired in an attempt to address Scott's tendency for filming excessive footage with multiple cameras. Editor Mark Helfrich described sorting through mountains of raw material to edit the first cut. There was more footage shot for The Last Boy Scout than on any film I had ever worked on. Uh, Expert action movie editor, the second editor of the film, Mark Goldblatt, who also worked on the film, 
recalls as one of the most painful and frustrating experiences of his entire career mm. and refuses to discuss it in interviews. Although he did for one interview, um, uh, said that several editors were hired, then fired before him, and then that Warner Brothers began testing the movie before it was completely finished. Studio execs fretted about the expanding budget while less than enthusiastic reactions from a test screening audience, as well as the unlikable characters played by Willis, did little to ally their concerns. The third editor, Stuart Barrett, was hired, um, and it started to take a positive turn, and he came on to re-edit other Trouble productions like Tango and Cash and Demolition Man. Mm. Uh, some later cuts were done with the film's graphic scenes after it was originally rated NC-17, mm-hmm. which quickly explains quick cut edits in some of the depth scenes in the film. So, mm. sounds like a mess, right? Yeah. You just got three different people sorting through, like, hours of footage, trying to make heads or tails of what's going on, on top of them rewriting the film while doing it, on top of the egos. Yeah, it's a recipe for disaster. They barely got this thing across the finish line. Sounds like it. Did you look up the numbers? Uh, yeah, budget was like 41, $43 million budget, $114 million gross. So it's okay. I had more than half, but it's maybe not justifies paying so much for that screenplay, right? Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of crazy. I'm curious to kind of see where we line up on this thing because I definitely have my feelings about this film. But what's your favorite tasting note of The Last Boy Scout? Maybe we have the same one. It was the. Mine's that scene that we talked about with uh, football in the nose. No, 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 no. Uh, the 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 scene uh, at the house where it's oh yeah 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 Jimmy Dix and his son and the stuff with the daughter. Like I think that's like actually a really great scene in a movie. It's silly that that would be the choice we would have on this out of this film, but it's that. Now, what do you have for the? Oh my god! Moment where we need to have some more agitator to just cleanse our palate of that moment. When Halle Berry gets smoked outside the strip club, <laughs> smoke her. Brutal. Brutal. Cheers. I gotta go with the opening. I yeah. mean, that's, that's out there. How you choose to open your movie, you're set, certainly setting a tone that I don't know if the movie pays it off or not, but my God. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the master distiller on The Last Boy Scout? I'm going to go with Wayans. Um, I think that this is a really great representation of Shane Black. This is a good measuring stick for Shane Black. Yeah. Even with the information that I didn't know that this is his post comeback vehicle after a terrible breakup or whatever. Yeah. Whatever that means. Yeah. Kind of Wayans out of nowhere, I think sort of saves his film. Yeah. That's kind of an uncharacteristic type of film for him too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really good. I think Bruce Willis is pretty good, but like he's, I think he's good in this type of space too. And I think he kind of needed this too after because this is the same year as Hudson Hawk and just like a vanity project, right? Yeah. I want to give it to Tony Scott, okay. and this is the fourth time this year I've watched this movie. Wow. Yeah, I did like a bit of a Tony Scott personal retrospective. I think in January or February, I watched all of his movies. Guy's got a good filmography. I mean, and he just knows his way around an action film. And like here, that's no exception. So him able to wrangle all that somehow, at least to some sort of completion. I, don't know, I think we underappreciate. T- t- Tony Scott is Michael Bay. Mm. If Michael Bay like didn't make like schlock, you know what I mean? Yeah, they're the same filmmaker. Well said. They 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 fetishize violence and gratuitous everything, mm. but Tony Scott like what he's doing like that's good he like knows like how to make a cohesive film whereas michael bay just like i don't know what the fuck he does that's great i gotta tell you this though ambulance the michael bay thing 
actually pretty good. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. The Maybe. Jake Gyllenhaal flick yeah. with the chick that's the cop that's shot in it. Yep. Maybe his best film since The Rock. So, wow. yeah, that was that was surprising to me. Uh, but mm. still, my stance on, on him versus Tony Scott. Because they do the same, like, camera angles. They use the same Hans Zimmer music. Like, they're the same guy. Yeah. But... One one guy knows what he's doing, so okay. Yeah, yeah I'll give it to Tony Scott. Yeah, I miss, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what else he would have made after that. Uh, I think Unstoppable with Chris Pine and Denzel, the train movie. Yeah, I think that was his last thing before he died. It's crazy. Mm. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, if you can do art house vampires mm. and this, there's, I think, an unrecognized greatness that. Uh, not only you and I, but everybody else has sort of missed on with him. And Top Gun, man. Also, well, and it's because of his brother. Yeah. And he arguably, his brother makes one of the 10 greatest films ever, which would be Alien. Yeah. And then maybe the most popular cult classic of all time, which would be Blade Runner. Can you imagine those Thanksgivings? Uh-uh. Just the, these guys just like, that had to have been like a pretty cool-esque rivalry between the two of them, yeah. right? Like trying to outdo each other. Yeah. But both recognizing each other's strengths. Like they're two very different filmmakers. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. That's just, it's crazy. They well, both, to Tony Scott, well, They both had their moments, too, so. To, how are you going to rate and grade The Last Boy Scout? Rock gut, well, call, single barrel, or top shelf? This is call. Okay. <laughs> just a just a wildly entertaining, silly film. Yeah. Uh, it was a good rewatch. Yeah. Like I said, it had been a long time. I think I've only ever seen this film maybe two times before. Okay. So a lot of it was almost brand new again. I'd forgotten all the people that were in it. I'd forgotten Halle Berry was in it. I'd forgotten about the whole Taylor Negron thing. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple moments I was kind of like, okay, 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 come on, come on, come on. But there were an equal number of moments where like that was really, really good. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not filmmaking genius. It's ambitious. It's fast paced. It's not as high concept as like speed might be. No. Um, but it's entertaining and it served its purpose as like enjoy some popcorn in a cool theater and just watch a movie. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Which is that's, that's stock letter call for me. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah. Cult Plus. Wow, really? Okay. Close to single single barrel wow. minus. I, I really like it four times, and I I, say, I, could, yeah. I could probably watch it again. And I mean, it's just I think, I, but I, I think I like the absurdity of it all. I think mm-hmm. I like how crazy it leans into itself. Yeah, I like I love the dialogue. I I I I just I like the backdrop. The opening song, as cheesy as it is, it's just I'm just humming that for days on end after hearing it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think it's a fun movie. You're right. It's not rewriting the books or better action movies or more high concept movies. But if you just pop it on or if it was on TV or just something or you just go, oh, yeah, it's not a bad time. Like, I think you'll have like a fun, fun watch. And it's it, Bruce, Will, it, it made me miss the Willis of, of this era mm-hmm. too, right? And, you know, kind of his health issues. But, you know, that he was kind of post unbreakable. Like, it's really hard to find a good Willis flick in there, right? Yep. But this era, like, man, it's, this is this is the stuff. This is this Die Hard, all the diehards, Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. like like the guys on like right now at this time. So yeah, I miss that. I mean, like him saying like yeah, fast forward, it's the fucking table. Like that's just like I, I love that. I, that's I'm, I'm gonna miss that if he is truly done, and he's not gonna make films anymore due to health reasons. Like it'll be that's it's a sad day. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, call plus single barrel minus. It's a good. T- it's not Tony Scott's best film, but let's. Crazy ride. I love all this behind the scenes drama. Like I kind of live for stuff like that. So yeah. the more troubled the production, I guess the better. So. Makes for a good story. It sure does. More than the movie sometimes. But let's wrap this up with our nightcap. Night, 
Want to know this, Bill Medley, mm-hmm. one of the Righteous, Righteous brothers, brothers. Do you think that's kind of like a pay it forward to Bill Medley after maybe possibly revitalizing the Righteous mm. Brothers from Top Gun? You've lost that love and feeling, right? Why not? Hey, do you want to do the main title song to our our, our this film? Could have been. I bet. Yeah, maybe. That's just I love. That's that. good. I want. I want. I want an MP3 track of that. It's really hard to track down. But man, if that was like my alarm or ringtone i would love it and think of the legacy of the medley brothers in film yeah unchained melody and ghost yep you've lost that love and feeling in top gun mm-hmm. and friday night's a great night for football and the last boy scout <laughs> i love it mount rushmore levels of stuff here there buddy. you go, there you go. Uh-huh. uh go ahead and hit us with that nightcap <laughs> that's pretty funny <laughs> uh the nightcap all right this was a shane black inspired question and it's your top three Movies that have some involvement on any level, acting, writing, voiceover, directing, financing, you name it, yeah. Shane Black. I'll go three, three, two, two, one, one. Okay. Go All ahead. right. Number one or number one. Number I'll, I'll do that and tell you number one. <laughs> number number three for me is The Long Kiss Goodnight. You brought it up earlier. Uh, very odd pairing. Um, could very well fit in this cast we're doing right now. Sure could have. Yeah. Uh, Sam Jackson before he's a little too Sam Jackson. Yeah. This is like post Pulp Fiction where it's still kind of like. Before can, it wasn't always motherfucking snakes on a motherfucking plane. Yeah. And another line delivered yeah. at the same pantameter. Yeah. I just think that's a really interesting, cool concept. Yeah. Dark, kind of funny at a couple points. Well-crafted film. That movie, I think, I think has the biggest explosion I think I've ever seen mm-hmm. in a movie. It's at the end when they're trying to like race across, I think, the Canadian border. And like the bridge explodes, that's just massive. Yeah. All done practically too, like yeah. with scale models and stuff. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, good choice. Okay, good. Thanks. I know we're not going to agree on this because I think we've spoken off mic about this film before, but I like it, I think, because of the odd pairing mm. in this film. It's the nice guys. Uh, I guess a 70s version-esque of Lethal Weapon, but that really leans into the comedy more than the action, right? Yeah. I just think Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling, are like that just doesn't sound right, right? Together, like those are two very different type of actors, but together, it kind of worked for me. And I, I think I liked it was Shane Black being a little more tongue in cheek than so serious. So I think that's why I like that one a little bit, a little bit more. And it, it could have been a, that tone that maybe would have made Iron Man 3 a little bit better too. So, okay. Iron Man 3 not making my list. Nor mine. <laughs> okay. Uh, number two, this probably will show up on yours, I bet too, mm-hmm. but this isn't a surprise. It's yeah. kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Yeah. Uh, Working with Downey at a tough time, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Um, heard an interesting story about Robert Downey Jr. today. You know who resurrected Robert Downey Jr.'s career from the toilet as far as um, rehab? Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah. And do you know how Robert Downey Jr. is paying that forward right now? Yeah. Guess who got busted selling timeshares in the Cayman Islands recently? 
Mel Gibson. <laughs> Army Hammer. Oh, yeah, that's I heard that. And Robert Danny Jr.'s bailing him out on that right now. Well, Army Hammer's got a lot more resurrecting to do than just a little bit of shoplifting and some drinking. The young girls and all that other shit doesn't play real well. The cannibals? <laughs> yeah, all that. He's my, yeah, it's a tough resurrection, but nonetheless. Yeah, yeah I heard that. That's crazy, dude. <laughs> I'd, you know, uh, this is totally derailing this again, but of the conversations that I want to have, I'd like to have an honest discussion about what Downey thinks about Gibson, because I know he's persona non grata and vilified in Hollywood, but for 20 years prior, 20, 25 years prior, mm-hmm. he wasn't. No. Yeah. There's a story there. And I'm like, I'm not going to defend or I'm not, I don't even get into that right now, but I'm just saying, you know, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard had some really sound weird sound bites that got released that played out like nothing in court. And Amber Heard looks like a complete villain and is done. Yeah. You know, there's some weird sound bites with Mel Gibson too. Oh yeah, <laughs> and there's only one side of them. Sure, yeah. No, yeah, I think. And you, we've all said stupid things when we were drunk. Yeah, no. Um, Except yeah, you, I, you I never have. Yeah, yeah, not me. Uh, <laughs> I, I, Robert Downey Jr. defended him. They were in a movie together, Air America. That's right. Yeah, uh, I think he's defended him a few times, just like about second chances and stuff, because he's like, "You gave me guys, you guys gave me a second chance and stuff like that." So. Good for, uh, but you're right to go back to kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Yeah. That's kind of like the beginning of like the resurrection of his career through yeah. Shane Black. And I think another pretty, it's my number two, by the way. Okay. Uh, it's a great film. That's kind of one of the last few, like good from Val Kilmer too. Like when yep. he was like still healthy. So mm-hmm. um, that's a great movie too, by the way. That's uh, kind of adapted from a graphic novel. Yeah. Is that uh Michelle Moynihan in yeah. that too? Yeah. yeah. That's we might, yeah. If we ever wanted to lean into a Shane Black cast, we could do Long Kiss Goodnight, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, The Nice Guys. That could be a good discussion for three weeks. That sure, could be interesting. Mm-hmm. It's your number one. I think we got the same number. One. Yeah, yeah. On the count of three. Yeah, one, two, three. Lethal Weapon. The Predator. <laughs> no, it's, it's Lethal Weapon, of course. Yeah. Uh and it's just the franchise. Can you tell them a little bit. Tell them about the asides, or like or like kind of what that is, because that's what makes it unique. So. The rumor, the urban legend on that script is there's a line in that in that script, which was specced. I mean, it's created originally, no adapted content, where when Riggs and Murtaugh pull up to that mansion that the guy falls into the pool, the writing on the page is Riggs and Murtaugh arrive at a mansion that is the size of the mansion that's going to buy when I sell this script. That's so good. And it was such a refreshing read for those that put mm-hmm. eyes on it. That's called an aside now. Yeah. And um, it became all the rage in spec screenwriting to the point to where Shane Black's monster that he created ended up being a deal breaker in most creative circles once four or five years went by because everybody was tired of that. Yeah. Because if not done originally creatively, it looks lazy because yeah. then you don't have to describe the mansion. Yeah. But... That and I, I've actually never read the Lethal Weapon script. Yeah, I've just read either. a few excerpts, yeah. but it's supposedly that is littered throughout that the fourth wall is broken in the script in the way that nobody had done it before. And what it didn't do was create a great read. What it did was create a great tone or relationship with the writer and the reader, and mm-hmm. that's is equally important as anything. Yeah, yeah. Setting the tone, then you get Richard Donner in there, and then Danny Glover and Mel Gibson. Yeah, and everything just kind of. Worked itself out on that movie, right? Sure I don't, I don't never heard any stories of any drama or anything. It just sounded like, I was like, yeah, everyone really bought into that. I think Lethal Weapon 2 is also really good. And I think he did, it had a story cred on that one. Mm. 
Uh, yeah, it's my number one. It's kind of what made him popular. I do want to throw an honorable mention out to the Monster Squad. Yeah. So I think the same year as Lethal Weapon. It was a co-screenwriting with Fred Decker and Monster Squad's cool. It's like Goonies with the Universal Monsters. It's mm-hmm. it's it's a fun family horror film, um, which I'm shocked has never been remade. Uh, but yeah, he did that the the same year, so he could dip his toe into family fare and then action and horror and. I think he does have some range. He's just pigeonholed as the lethal weapon guy, right? He has some involvement on the hunt for Red October too. Yeah, script doctor. I kind of wish it was a little bit more because script doctor just basically means he probably went and banged up the dialogue. Well, we should maybe watch that movie again and see if it feels a little more Shane Blackie. Mm-hmm. Another film I watched from this era that's also pretty uh, good is uh, The Fugitive. Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones. Like he has. No, 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 no. Oh. that's not Shane Black. Oh, I'm just from that era. Oh, I'm yeah. telling you, I watched Oh, it. no, that's a great film. Yeah, that was yeah, it's a good chase, man. And then, yeah. like, Tommy Lee Jones, he won an Oscar for that film, too, but he's, like, almost, like, kind of the villain of the movie. Uh, and I remember watching, speaking to Robert Downey Jr., I watched U.S. Marshals to death because HBO ran that movie all, all the time. time. Yeah. Yeah, him and Wesley Snipes fighting on, like, a cargo cargo ship. Shane Black maybe wrote that movie. Uh, just to speak to that, like just the nineties offered up so many interesting action films and we got one more big one we're going to talk about, but not next week, right. week after, right? Because next week I'll let you set it up. What are we talking about next week, Matt? Get your hammers and your swords and your Something. other hammers ready. Cause it is time for, I guess, umbrellas. Cause it's time for Thor love and thunder. Mm. All right. So. Truth be told, the reason that Rai has been a little bit hit and miss lately is not entirely, but no, pretty much entirely because of me oh, and stop. vacation. Oh, stop. So you guys all have had plenty of time to see this movie now. You'll have had three weeks to see this movie by the time we cut the show next weekend. Yeah. I can tell you right now on my phone, I have more notes for this oh, than I have even in the early days when I had... Yeah. I got to teach everybody about the Hays Code and blah, blah, blah. Like, teach people about the remember, remember how long my notes were on that? I showed you just scrolling, scrolling, uh, dates and all that. Well, yeah, we got to lay down the foundation for film noir, what that even is. Yeah. I have put probably 30 minutes into note. I have so much to talk about this. And you, I know you're going today. Yeah. I know you're going to match me with just as much. Good there for, is good for you, yeah. a level of frustration and philosophy and joy and laughter that has unprecedented on this show next week is going to be a landmark show for for i smile Explosive. we're not gonna it's not gonna be a two and a half hour end game thing but it's tomorrow I mean, next week's gonna I be mean, a cup i mean if it is i mean that's okay the truth is i'm gonna tell you this right now we're yeah. not gonna do a flight or nightcap next week because we, we have so much to talk about just yeah, go in we've got we've got two and a half hours if we want to dig into it i'm looking forward to it yeah. oh man because that was kind of our conversation spoiler alert when we said pre pre mic about it, it was pretty heated yeah before we hit play or record, it was all about Marvel Mm -hmm. and just our frustrations and lack of certain things. And, but surprise for, I think a lot of that's going to rear its head though. I mean, this is, this is kind of like a, this is a penultimate moment for me personally with Marvel is I need to see something good. You know what I mean? Like I I need to see the needle change from where, where it's been the last since Endgame, right? Honestly. So, with some positives in there, and we'll we'll mention those, but it's got a really interesting stance on Marvel films right now, and it's it's kind of it's kind of screwing up Hollywood right now. To be completely honest with you, so mm. 
Uh, yeah, you got that coming next week. <laughs> next week is can't miss listening. Yeah, exactly. I'm looking forward to it. Me so, too. So cheers to you. Cheers. Do you want to tell them what's coming the week after that and then finish up the summer blockbuster thing? Yeah, let's do it. Go ahead. Um, so we'll, we'll wrap this up uh, with another action vehicle. One of your favorites that you you alluded to me and uh, oh, I, 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 really, I really like this time. And first time talking about this director and then this pairing. It's kind of fun that everything's been kind of like kind of pseudo pairings, except for speed is kind of a different partnership with him and him and Bullock. But it is another Keanu vehicle. Mm. It's point break, man. By a Condios amigo. Yeah. I love it. I'm not even I'm just gonna tell everyone right now. Yeah. I am the biggest supporter of this movie ever. This is this is prime stuff for me. Love it. Utah, Thank you. Utah. Give me two. Johnny Utah. Uh yeah, I can't wait to talk about this and kind of the whole extreme sports angle that action can lean into. Hmm. We get to talk about Catherine Bigelow a little bit too. And yeah. I think she's had, you know, bring up Halle Berry. I think Catherine Bigelow's had a mm-hmm. crazy career too from prestige drama to near dark to um, marriages. Yeah. Strange. Have you ever seen strange days with Ray Fiennes? Mm-hmm. I think that's a James Cameron produced Love that vehicle. Film. Yeah. That's a, That's an interesting. Is that Tom Sizemore? I think is in that one too. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. She's had a crazy career. So yeah, we can talk about that. And the movie itself is a lot of fun. Heist. Sure we like to talk about heists, right? We do. So you got that coming to you, Thor. Uh, yeah, we'll wrap up July in style. July's going to go out with fireworks, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, so until then, I got to get going. Uh, <laughs> I had something for this, too. Uh, I'm going to go listen to Friday Night's a Good Time for Football because I just can't get enough of it. Uh, uh, everyone is going to be stuck in your heads all week. I'm sorry. You never close your eyes. <laughs> yeah, no, no more. That's all you get. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, yeah. Tomorrow will be a good day for listening to this podcast. We'll see you all next week. Have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. It really helps out the show. And for Rye Smile Films merchandise, go to tpublic.com. The Last Boy Scout. Is property of Warner Brothers Pictures, the Geffen Film Company, and Silver Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. So I'm thinking I could use a partner. You up for that? I don't know. I don't know anything about being a detective. There's nothing to it. Now, this being the 90s, you can't just walk up to a guy and smack him in the face. You got to say something cool first. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, uh, I'll be back. Yeah, only better than that. Like, if you hit him with a surfboard, you would say, Surf's up, pal. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> so what else? Well, there's not much more to tell than that. Water's wet, the sky's blue. An old Satan clause, Jimmy, he's out there. And he's just getting stronger. So what do we do about that? Be prepared, son. That's my motto. Be prepared. Moody River, more deadly. Than the vainest night